Hello and welcome to the Screen Composers Studio, a podcast about the musical storytellers behind some of your favorite films, shows, video games, and more. I'm your host, Adrian Ellis. Erica Percunier is a rising star in the screen composing scene. After deciding early on that composing for picture was her passion, she completed a master's in music composition from the University of Western. While building her credits, she was accepted into prestigious programs like the Canadian Film Center's Slate Music Family Lab and the highly competitive Berlin Alley Talents, which is held in Berlin each year. She now splits her time composing for independent films, including a now award from our sponsor, starring Bruce Greenwood, television shows such as Apple TV Plus's Emmy Award-winning Ghost Writer, CBC's Detention Adventure, and teaching film scoring at Humber College. We chat about the intense sink or swim adventure that was her first apprenticeship, how she pushes her ideas to their full potential without worrying about getting turned down, and her thoughts on one of the biggest potential threats to screen composing and human culture in general, artificial intelligence. If you like what you hear, please consider giving us a rating and sharing the episode with your friends and followers. It really helps us grow and share the stories of these amazing creators. And now please enjoy my conversation with Erica Percuni. Erica, welcome to the podcast. Hi, I'm happy to be here. Yeah, great to be talking to you today. I'm really excited to uh, have our chat. Um, we've known each other for quite a while, actually, and it's really interesting because I feel like um, we've sort of been waving at each other across the way uh, as we've been on the journey of this um, this crazy career called the uh, screen composing. Yeah, we met right at the start, like right when I arrived in Toronto, basically. <laughs> right. So when we were chatting the other day, you said something kind of interesting. You said that in terms of how you started, you just kind of made the decision to become a film composer at the age of 16. What I, I'm guessing that it was 16, yeah. I just, and it's kind of very funny because um, I don't actually hear a lot of people admit that they did that. And I right. don't know if it's more common than that, but most of the stories I hear about people who are working in the field is that, you know, they um, they just uh, fell, it fell into their lap and all of a sudden they got really successful doing these side <laughs> films and then all of a sudden it's their main gig. But um, I don't know, I just, it, it became something of a thing to me when I was 16 and, and I kind of got obsessed and... Um, and then I just had tunnel vision for the next 15 years or whatever to just see if I could do it. And, well, and I what, did it. What did, I did you guess. see or what, it, what, what did you come across that kind of made you go, oh, this, first of all, that was inspiring enough. And then secondly, where you went, oh, this is a, this is a job you can do. Well, I, I think it was listening to the, um, the sort of like the backside of the cassette tape when I was little. Like there would be, you know, I'm thinking specifically of the Lion King soundtrack where mm. there was, you know, all the all the musical theater songs that they put in on the front side and then on the back side there's all these score pieces by Hans Zimmer and I was like, "Oh, this is like such amazing music." Mm. And I was like, "That's like this is a thing." that you can do. And then I just, I was writing a lot of music at that point, like just on the piano, like experimenting and stuff like that. And um, the type of stuff that I wanted to write, like I, I was like really wanting to expand past the piano and use like orchestra, but like I didn't really have that at my fingertips. Like I didn't play in an orchestra. I was just a piano player. And mm -hmm. so it just was something that I was, really drawn to and uh 
I just, I, I started looking into it. This is like late 90s and there wasn't a whole lot out there on how to do it. And I think that just made me want to do it even more. Like mm. there wasn't a program in school, at least in Canada, where you could learn how to be a film composer. And and I was so, I, one side of me was so disappointed that there wasn't like a program like going to med school or something where right. you did your undergrad and then you then you did your MCAT and then you did four years of med school and then you did a residency and you, then you were a doctor basically. Um, and that's really difficult, right? Like that's a really difficult program, but I was so disappointed that there wasn't like a set pathway. And you also said, uh, you know, in addition to sort of finding that there was no clear path or like a direction or, or, you know, a sort of way forward that was clear to you, you also said you didn't really see a lot of uh, women in the industry as well. So you could look to and say, oh, I'll model my career after this person or this person is inspiring to me. Yeah, there there was only a couple. And um, th- but they were they were really inspiring, like Anne Dudley and Rachel Portman, um, Wendy Carlos, like those were the kinds of people that that I that I saw. And I was just upset that there wasn't more because mm-hmm. In my opinion, like I was, you know, listening to the music that I was writing and like knew that I could write. And I was like, there's zero difference between me and and them. Like, like if I wanted to write a like a war epic, like that really interested me. And and all the women were getting these like rom-com sort of lighthearted stuff. And it wasn't mm-hmm. like the heavy stuff. So do you feel like that's changing now? Oh yeah, yeah. There is so much better than than back in the '90s when I <laughs> was like formulating this plan in my head. <laughs> but, I mean, occasionally you come across an opinion that, like, oh, well, we picked you because you're a woman and this story is about a woman, or we just really wanted a feminine spin on this. And like, I don't really think my gender like applies to the kind of music like. I can write masculine music and feminine music and, mm-hmm. and, and I'm, you know, men have been writing feminine films that need <laughs> feminine music for decades. So I, I just don't understand that, that, uh, yeah. that mindset, but you know, at the same time, if someone's going to come to me and say, we'd really like, you know, your perspective on this story, like, I'm not going to say no. I'm going to see what what's in that story for me to get inspired by. So, mm-hmm. this is a this is such an interesting uh, conversation because that I've been having with so many people lately. Because there's sort of two sides of this coin. I think there's, uh, you know, there are the men who have to understand what the position is of women and what their experience, their real experience has been. And to listen to that and to acknowledge it for what it is um, and not try and sort of diffuse it or say, well, maybe it's like this or maybe you're misunderstanding something. And then secondly, the, the, the thing that's really come up a lot lately, people start to question, this is women, start to question whether they're being picked for the right reasons. Am I being picked for my music? Am I being picked because I'm the best person for the job? And I guess it's just you know, an awkward kind of transitionary phase that we're in where we are trying to, you know, create more opportunities and make sure that we are, um, you know, giving people a chance that deserve chances. But I guess just, you know, there is always that question, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's an interesting conversation to have. um, Because 
I mean, in my opinion, um, you know, there is always this fight right now between like um, diversity of like expanding the the types of voices that are that mm-hmm. are out there and, and being heard and and sort of a meritocracy situation where like the best story or the best music should be the one to be the one to do it. And I guess my opinion on that topic is that there is no such thing as a true meritocracy. And and no matter what you do, like you'll never you'll never fully achieve it because because there's not really a method of of getting something truly objective. What do you think about um, blind auditions where they're not attaching names, credits, or anything to the submissions? It's just here's the music, listen to it. Do you think it fits? That's it. I think I think it's good, um, but I think there's a lot more that goes into the hiring of a person because. Um, uh, the whole industry is is based on on the your ability to trust the person to do the job. Like the, it's the music, yes, but also like can they deliver to the deadline that we need? How fast mm-hmm. can they write? But again, all of that stuff uh, is starting to create barriers for for people who maybe don't have as much experience mm-hmm. as other people. So I think you have to be careful about that stuff. Um, I just want to go back again to uh, how you came up. Where did where did you go to school? And what was your experience of that? I went to Western University. So I did my undergrad four years of theory and composition uh, there as a piano player. But I quickly switched from playing piano as I never intended to be a performer. Mm. I, I knew very early, even when I applied to to do school that I wanted to compose. I did not want to perform. And I just I just knew that I wasn't, uh, you have to be so perfect. And I just, I didn't have that going for me. So I did my four years and then I did another two year degree uh, with my master's uh, in composition at Western. Mm-hmm. And that was like, I did, I did, I felt, a little afraid, I think, is is kind of the reasoning behind that. Where, like, I know that when I'm in this job, I don't really need this piece of paper to to prove right. anything. Yeah. Except that at that moment in my life, I was really terrified of leaving school. Actually, like, I oh wow, was really? Like, this is um something that I just. I, I just wanted to learn more stuff, I think. Mm-hmm. And so I did an extra two years and that was exactly what I needed. I was like exhausted by then. I was like, get me out of here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's kind of a connection between those two things. How you felt at 16 where you said there's no clear path. You wish there was a more set path. And then when you're in school, I mean, you're being challenged constantly and it's it's a pressurized environment. But at least you know, if I study and do this and do that, then I'll get this and I'll get these grades and I can move forward with this. You know, there's a structure yeah. to it. You know what you're doing every day where you're supposed to show up it's kind of funny i mean i think one of the biggest challenges of of doing this as a career or frankly the career of any freelancer is the fact that you really just kind of make it up every day as you go along and uh, things change on a dime and you know you could be you know working 20 hour days for a week one time and then you could be out of a job for the next three months you know do you because you mm-hmm. teach at uh, humber right is that i do the, i do yeah so how do you tell you how do you talk to you about your students about that aspect of it well, they haven't asked me this year yet. <laughs> uh, you just have to eventually 
trust that things are going to work out. I, and I mean, that's, I, I was very, um, I was very worried for a long time. Like when I, when I went out into the real world and I was like, you know, pounding the pavement, trying to meet people, trying to get jobs. And I was, you know, there's a, there's so much anxiety around like, where's the next job going to come from? But mm-hmm. um, eventually you just realize like, well, uh, if I look into the past, the jobs did come, even if mm-hmm. I didn't even know where the next one was going to be. You kind of have to trust that the opportunities are going to come, but you have to be ultra prepared for the moment that those opportunities show up. What do you think about the James Cameron quote, hope is not a strategy? I often think about that because, you know, there is this kind of like, it's it's a weird double-edged sword that we always live by, which is on the one hand, you're going, you know, this is crazy. It's completely chaotic. Uh, but I know somehow it's going to work out. And and you don't know why. Like, you, it's not rational in a way. And then I think about that James Cameron quote, and I go, well, yeah, but there has to be a strategy to what I'm doing. So if you tell someone, well, you know, things will just work out, and they go, great, and they just sit at home <clears throat> and make music and don't do anything else, it's not going to work out. No. <laughs> Well, you have to, I mean, there's so many facets to this job. Like, I think one of the things that I do also tell my students is that this job is not just, you're not just a composer. You're a business person. You're an, you're, you're an accountant. You're a, you're a, you do your own payroll. Like you, you, you're a marketing executive. Like you Mm. have to go out and you have to like network, like there's a, an aspect to deciding at 16 to do this job that does have a strategic element to it as well, where like, you know, as soon as I realized that like I'd have to go out and I'd have to meet people, I was like, okay, well, I better turn into a, like an... Like, like a, a, a hustler or... No, like an extroverted person where oh, okay, yeah, I yeah, can yeah. actually have a, a, a conversation with... Um, anybody that I just happen to meet. Right. Yeah. And that's not for everyone. I mean, or a lot of people I think struggle with that. So that's, that's an interesting one for sure. This idea of, of creating opportunity and, and, and just sort of the kind of like, I don't know when people like, how does this ask me, how does this work? I go, I, frankly, I don't really know. I, I can't really tell you other than give you strategies and things that I think have worked for me and things that you want to consistently do, but ultimately like why something works or doesn't work or why things turn out the way they do uh, and why there sort of seems to be a consistent thread with everyone you talk about that's sort of been successful with this um, was something that was uh, introduced to me as a very powerful idea back when I did the um, apprentice mentor program with the Screen Composers Guild. Uh, And this is going back like 13 years now. And we actually, uh, you and I, mentored under this same person, Donald Kwan. Uh, For me, that was hugely formative. Um, And, (laughs) you know, Donald's a very unique guy and uh, he's got very interesting perspectives. And he really opened my mind to a lot of things and and changed the way I was thinking um, about my career and about life in general. What was your what was your mentorship like with Donald? And what, what did you take away from that? Oh, that was a really interesting uh, intro into the industry for me. Um, mm-hmm. I am the kind of person who, I don't know if you can tell already, but like I like the structure and I like programs. Mm. And I got matched with Donald, which was really like a intense introduction into the real 
world of film scoring and there's so much stuff about this job that you can't learn in a textbook or you can't mm -hmm. learn in school necessarily. And I was working for him for about eight months, but very quickly it all came crashing down in like one day. There was four projects on the go and he had um, a stroke um, on stage and he was in a coma. So me and his other assistant, Shin, we basically were thrown into the fire. And <laughs> I mean, we could have just sort of, you know, closed up shop. But we said, we got to finish these projects for Donald. Um, wow. Like, what are... What, what are they going to do? Like the deadlines in a week, like we have right. to do this. So, yeah. you know, Donald's in a coma and we went and we, um, we helped out these productions and we, f we finished them and we were just the assistants. Like we didn't, I mean, we did know what we were doing because we had a great mentorship from Donald. And I think everybody was, you know, so stressed out in that, in that time. And they were just thankful that, you know, we were there to like, you know, sweep up the pieces and keep the whole project to, together without having it fall apart. But yeah. um, that was a huge, huge learning experience because um, that does not really happen every day that somebody trusts you when you're just an assistant like that. To, Absolutely, like, yeah. Put and just hands you the together. reins of everything. Was there, well, <laughs> I can only imagine the reaction on the part of the producers of these shows when you said, um, so there's a bit of an issue yeah. uh, and we're going to have to take over. Was there ever a thought that there would be a different path forward or was it just like we don't have a choice or was it that you'd already built the trust and the relationship with those producers that made them feel comfortable to move forward? There was four projects still on the on the slate and we didn't do one of them, but the three others we ended up doing one I think was because the deadline was, you know, in, right. th in two or three days or something oh like five days, something like that. And then the other, like they already knew that we had been composing on the show and we had mm -hmm. been working with Donald and like, and we were able to deliver. So um, we were able to instill that trust that you need in that situation, because I right. think that's really what everybody's looking for. Everything I learned from Donald was, is invaluable. And then he, he, I think a lot of you might already know Donald, but he did make a great recovery and he's back to composing now. And we, we actually ended up working together still, even after he came back from his coma. Yeah, and so that was my intro to the industry, basically. Wow, yeah, that's intense. Right, in, right into the crucible, uh, off the bat, that must have been an intense learning experience. I want to talk a little bit about the the, the CFC, the Canadian Film Center, which is a, a wonderful institution set up by uh, famed filmmaker Norm Jewison, uh, where they invite producers, directors, actors, and now screen composers and songwriters to come up and basically do a residency. And it's a very competitive program. Um, it is across Canada that people come and do this. So, and you were lucky enough to be chosen for this. Tell me a little bit about that situation. That was another one that I'm sure was very intense and all encompassing. What was it like being at the CFC? Oh, I love the CFC so much. Oh my goodness. It just, it warms my heart to even think back to that time in my life. The CFC is just like a family, I think. And it was just a lovely experience. It's, it's more than just school. It's, it's you you get all these 
new relationships happening with all these creative, like-minded people. And, and I found some really great lasting relationships through the CFC, like in work, but also just um, in social friendships. If you, if you had advice for people that are looking to get into that program or applying for it, what would you say to them? Show, show your true musical voice uh, in, your, in your application, um, that you're wanting to be a in, really intense storyteller, like you really care about getting that sort of aspect of it. It's not just about the music, it's about um, supporting what is happening on screen and really, you know, becoming one with the movie. You know, it's, it's sometimes it's, I hear some people say that they, they really like uh, the kind of music that is in movies and they want to yeah. write that kind of music. And it's like, yeah. well, that's great. It, you know, maybe you should write an album that sounds like movie music instead. Like, I, I, I think the whole, the whole point is that, you know, you're, you're telling a story a visual story and you're supporting that visual story with all the tools in your toolbox basically yeah. and it's such a collaborative thing too i mean you're you're dealing with other people who have their own vision and doing a basically working as a translator um you know for their for their cinematic vision how do you turn that into music how do you meet those demands and those re- those requests exactly one of your more recent projects um is Ghostwriter, which you did for Apple TV Plus, and that uh, recently won an Emmy Award uh, for for I think it was best. What was it? Best series? Best? Uh, uh, yeah, best children's series. That's amazing. They didn't even know that they were nominated for that. What? It's it's weird. <laughs> I think there was a funny accounting error, and they knew that they were nominated in a lot of the craft categories and like okay. the writing categories, but they yeah. didn't know that they were in the running for the big award for that and then they won it and then everyone was like oh like that's awesome (laughs) so um yeah well that's great that's amazing Mm -hmm. um and again you know to i want to talk about that show but it's funny how you you've sort of had this um I mean, to a certain degree, luck, but also because of your talents, you've gotten into another very prestigious and very uh, competitive program at Berlinale, which is uh, happens in Berlin in Germany uh, every year. And you have a kind of an, another intense story uh, about sort of being thrown oh, into yeah. the crucible at the beginning of that show. I got hired on Ghostwriter and I said, well, I'm already accepted into Berlinale um, and I have to go to Berlin for two weeks. Is this going to be an issue? <laughs> and they're like, "No, that sounds fine." And what they really meant, and what they really meant by that was, you're going to figure out the schedule, right? <laughs> like you're going to just sort of work this two week gap in. <laughs> and I think they thought I might be able to compose while I was in Berlin. And I was like, no, that's not going to work out. Because <laughs> wow. as you know, like I like Berlinelli Talents is, is a, you know, it's an intense week of a festival where you're going to workshops and you're doing seminars and going to, you know, talks and stuff. And you're up late and you're meeting people and you're having lunches and coffees. And it's an amazing program. And I had such a great time. But I would not have had time to compose. But I had an amazing uh, help by um, 
our mutual friend Janelle. So she came in and helped me so that I could actually go to Berlin Alley and keep my ghostwriter job. So, <laughs> so thank you, Janelle. How? What was it like working on that show? What was the? What were the first discussions with the um, with the with the showrunners like? And and what was the approach? The show is this sort of reboot of a of a nineties. Uh, 90s show, which I actually watched when I was little. So this was, you know, so ecstatic for me when like, there's a, there's a code word that they use for the show, which uh, I don't think I should say, but, Ah. um, but so when I had demoed on it, I just knew the code word, but then I was reading it and I was like, I, this is ghostwriter. Like I know Ah. what show this is. Okay. Right. Because I watched it, but I never found out who the ghost was when I was little because I could never watch it enough days in a row. Right. Anyway, the the approach was completely different. Like it wasn't uh, sort of any throwback to anything that really was in the 90s show, except that there is this ghost that shows up and it helps kids learn to read and, and think about literature. If you go and listen to the old Ghostwriter theme song, it's it's like everybody remembers it like in my peer group and mm-hmm. um it's one of these sort of uh early 90s where they kind of threw in as much contemporary <laughs> right. elements as they could so like you know there's a record scratch and then there's a a sax solo and then there's like all this beatboxing and like everything oh in God. between like right it's it's in it's intense so i, yeah. I thankfully i didn't have to reference that in in the new ghostwriter the new ghostwriter is is very much like kind of taking this like ghosty like uh sort of industrial revolution kind of aspect to it kind of like the sherlock from the bbc so i use like a lot of like dulcimers and orchestra and then every couple episodes there's a new story arc where you know, we had uh, Alice in Wonderland and we had like Frankenstein and we kind of did a little bit of an approach that that uh, um, was customized to that little storyline that was mm, coming out. So that's fun. Yeah. You also work on a CBC's Detention Adventure, which is another kid series. What's how do you think about the two of those, like in terms of the age groups and the kind of music that you're writing for those? Is there is there a different approach? Personally, I don't. I don't want to dumb the music down for an age group. I think we sometimes underestimate children and like what they're open to because they're actually like much more open to anything than than adults even are, I think. So um, like I know we had talked about this earlier, whereas like you watch some stuff from the 80s and, and like the music is insane and (laughs) and it's like contemporary and it's like dissonant and it's for kids and it's like this this actually works like this like kids don't think this is weird they've never they don't have anything to compare it to so i just i go for like a mature approach to to everything if i can and then occasionally i'll i'll be asked to pull back by producers um where you know it is sometimes if things are a little too scary that that uh, d- that can be an issue because they yeah. don't want things to be scary. That's so, a really tricky line I find. I'm always that always gives me pause when I get those kinds of notes. Like it's it's good, but it's to this or to that, and you're like, oh, that's interesting because like what is the difference between something that is truly scary and something that is 
spooky or scary but more for kids you know or like what's the difference between something that's too sad and too uh heartbreaking and something that suggests sadness and is appropriate for kids i know know? it's it is a tricky line like i will just do what i think is what should be done and then if people want to pull it back then then they can because i wouldn't want to be too conservative and then have it be just sort of like blah so do you find sometimes you're actually delivering stuff and you're going i i went to 100 here and they'll probably ask me to pull back but i want to give it a shot anyways yeah i do i do that and um i mean there's a show that i'm currently working on and um there's some pretty intense like almost like action action scenes and uh but we're still in this stage where we're coming up with the tone the entire tone for the show right and this is the moment where it's like well this doesn't fit in with the tone of our show this is like really intense (laughs) and our show is not that dangerous basically is is how it kind of goes and so then i have to you know kind of redefine the boundaries of of what the show is has in its musical possibilities This podcast is brought to you by the Screen Composers Guild of Canada, celebrating its 40th year in 2020. The SCGC is a national association of professional music composers and producers for film, television, and media, whose mission includes promoting the music, status, and rights for film, television, and media composers in Canada. Special thanks to the SOCAN Foundation for financial support. For more information on the SCGC, please visit www.screencomposers.ca and follow us online at Screen Composers. And now back to our show. The word trust comes up a lot when we've been talking. Uh, and, and I think you said yourself that that's one of the things that you are most focused on nurturing with your with your uh, collaborators. I want to talk a little bit about your relationship with Zach Birnbaum, because you guys have worked on a bunch of different things together. How did you guys meet and what sort of spurred you to work together? So Zach and I have met probably back in like 2011 or 2012. Um, and he had just been hired to do his first feature film Mm -hmm. and he contacted me i don't know how he found me i think he might have just found me on the internet Hmm. with like a website which wow people say to me they're like that's unheard of yeah i'm like well not anymore (laughs) (laughs) now people just find you online but i guess you know i did always think like how important it is to have an online presence so i actually like taught myself how to make my own websites like way back in the day yeah me too so, that's awesome yeah it was it's kind of like a like a i don't know how this works so i'm gonna figure it out kind of yep. this yep. is mm. but so we worked on a film called and now a word from our sponsor um and that starred bruce greenwood and parker posey and um the premise was um this guy uh, has a little bit of like a mental breakdown and he's an ad executive and then he can only communicate using ad slogans. So <laughs> it, was, it was interesting co- comedy. So that was fun. That was a lot of fun. And then after that, we just continued to work together um, right. whenever he was making films and came up with, you know, a really good shorthand with how to communicate to each other about the score and um he really does listen and um he doesn't temp his films because he knows that i don't want to hear the temp and he doesn't even want to hear the temp because he's afraid of getting too oh that's great too used to it and yeah 
he wants the the scenes to work perfectly without score because otherwise you know you're kind of using score as a crutch to make the scene edit yeah. properly and Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, that that open slate is so great. I recently saw a post uh, online in one of a composer groups and uh, someone was exclaiming how um, excited they were because they got a cut of a film from the director and they it was tempted with their own music and they were so happy. And I thought, that sounds awful. (laughs) I mean, it's not only are you um, sort of now you're if you're listening to yourself it's even harder to not self-plagiarize because that's like something that inherently came out of you right it's, yeah. it's like a it's like a well-worn sort of record groove like I, yeah i don't know that i would like that because I, I i always come up with something new and customized to each film yeah for me it's always a filtering process i i, I listen to what they've done as the temp sometimes it's it works Sometimes it's terrible, which I think is super helpful, uh, and I'm not being facetious. And mm-hmm. then sometimes it's so good that it's scary, and you're like, "Oh, great! How do I beat this?" But I'm always no. thinking, like, "Okay, this. What is it? What's inherently? It's a great place to start talking about music. I find because you're like, okay, what's working about this? What do you like? It, what what do you feel works? What doesn't work? And don't talk about the instrumentation. Talk about like the feeling of it, or the emotional thing, or the narrative that's being helped by this. And so yeah. I don't know. I feel like. I, I like I like I don't mind temp as long as they haven't become addicted to it. You know, that I think yeah. it's a helpful thing. I like temp when things have to go fast. Honestly, mm. it's like <laughs> you know, it when I yeah. was doing Ghostwriter, I I had to write a whole episode in a week and you know, there was like 17 to 20 minutes of music that I had to do. So I was like, you know, I was like at a good pace like 5 minutes a day. Yeah. would be lovely to get out and you know if i had to spend the time to see like to think about all of the placements of the music from scratch that would right that would be a little bit more difficult but um and it, and i love doing that work if i have the time of course like you want to just like inherently feel the drama and stuff like that going back to zach for a moment um and again on this topic of trust for the announcement which is one of the more recent things you did with him you took the music in a different direction like the types of things that i had been working on lately like didn't have a lot of room for creative expression and, and experimentation and so i was really craving a project where I could do some weird stuff. Mm. And and he was making something, um, it was like a COVID project. Um, he actually had filmed it, like, I think he filmed it on March 1st. I, I think that one was, was really great because he did have to trust that I, that, you know, what I was coming up with um, and the process that I was going through was going to be worth it if you know what I mean. Like, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and he had to, you know, be quite open-minded in terms of um, where we could go with this. And yeah. I think it was a good, um, it was a good experiment and exercise. So, like, it was, it, it did have that cacophony sort of chaotic, like, aspect to it. Like, I wanted mm-hmm. to, like, layer things so much that, like, you couldn't really hear the meter very ah, right. very yep. well and like it, mm-hmm. it's just kind of all over the place and it and it makes sense in the story as well because it's one of these stories it's like a one shot short film where you kind of the, the camera's its own character and it like moves through the house like discovering 
this situation as it unfolds. Right. And it's not a happy story by any means. So I think it's interesting you mentioned that, you know, there was a story based reason for doing what you did. And I think that's always so important is that being able to justify something, not because you like this or you like that or you think it would be really cool, but rather, you know, I think the story needs this or I think it would be uh, a great opportunity for us to explore that. It certainly needed something um, unique, unique to itself. I'm a huge fan of um, a lot of like aleatoric music and um, like uh, like Mika Levy's score to Under the Skin really inspires me in mm-hmm. in a way, and I wish I could um, have have a like a film that needed something like that. Um, I get that as a reference so much these days. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's like in the horror world right now, that's like Thomas Newman's American Beauty. Oh, man. It just, again, <laughs> you get just like, oh, yeah, I really like the score. What's it? Um, Beneath the Skin, I think Mika, I uh-huh. like Mika Levy's. Yeah, okay. Yeah, all right. I know. No, don't even send me the, I know what it is. <laughs> I guess, I guess the thing for me is like, I would want to apply it to situations that aren't horror films. Like, yeah. If that right. makes sense. Like, I, yeah. I want like weird stuff in, in kind of normal a little bit more normal moments like like it makes sense for it makes sense for a horror film to sound like that right yeah but yeah i don't know like do you consider under the skin a horror film i mean there are horror elements i don't know i guess it depends on your your definition of horror i mean yeah genres Mm -hmm. sometimes are are kind of stupid because you could think of it as a sci-fi you could think of it as a thriller a psychological thriller uh, you could just think of it as a weird art house experimental film. I mean, yeah, there's there's yeah. so much going. It's a very slow burn movie. It's like not a lot happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then a lot of it is sort of, you know, I mean, if you think about this being about an alien that comes to planet Earth and, you know, <laughs> yeah. does these sort of heinous things. But it's not really what, like when you see it happening, it's like very... Um, gestural and artistic and kind of like suggestive mm-hmm. of things and not directly related like this is what's actually happening you know yeah like it's that like very abstract the, it's very abstract that's the word i was looking for thank you <laughs> yeah i don't know i guess i guess what i what i get interested in is like you know making something a little more abstract using the music instead of like the film itself being the thing that is this is this is so interesting to me because this is something i think about often we seem to be at this point i think in most mainstream uh and even in in like indie films there's a certain approach that seems to almost be even though it's like such an artificial thing within stories to there's a certain way to say certain things yeah and i remember i was watching uh zatoichi the blind swordsman as a japanese movie and um, the score was at times just like so counter and so juxtaposing against picture. And it just, it was like, you'd have these scenes and it's like, these two things, they don't go together, but it suggests something else. And it's just, it, it felt, I don't want to say alien, but it just kind of mm-hmm. like went, whoa, that's interesting. Like, I really love those textures. I really like that, the play against things that isn't necessarily a narrative thing. Like, it wasn't trying to suggest something. It was just going, well, what about this here? Why not? Yeah. And I think that's so cool. It's, you know, I, I, I would like to remember to push things in that direction whenever possible. I think it's, I think it's a really interesting choice. Like, I just... I would love, there's a couple of things I'd love to do. Uh, and one of them is, is do that. Like with a contemporary film, it's just, 
or you know even a period picture just go mm-hmm. like completely sort of abstract uh dissonant like just all like very experimental with the score yeah. um there is a movie that did that that i saw at tiff um i can't remember what year it was but it was called mary queen of scots and it's mm. not the current one that came okay. out in the last couple of years but it um they used um uh, it, it's not a, actually an original score, I think it's, but it's Sophia Gubaidulina, mm-hmm. um, and it's like licensing a lot of her music. So if you're familiar with her her uh, compositions, um, you'll know that they're very um, they're they're very aggressive in my opinion, and mm-hmm. um, they're certainly like not in any sort of functional harmony uh, territory and. Um, it just makes this period piece like like very horrific. Like it brings mm. out a lot of the that like it adds a lot of complexity to like what the characters are feeling and like how how strange it might be to be in this situation where you know it's this power struggle and um, and you know people are going to get their heads cut off. <laughs> so. <laughs> That's really cool. Yeah, so yeah. I, I wow. really wanted to period period dramas, and I want to treat it like like a like with crazy contemporary score. But I would also love to do like Jane Austen, like just go crazy and and write like you know something really really classical. Wow, on a that's on a cool. film score, that would be a, one of my that's one of my goals. I would say nice. I love it. Yeah, it's very it's important to have goals and things you're shooting for. On the subject of experimentation and, and finding unique approaches, one of the things you said to me when we were speaking earlier was that you're looking to explore your own artistry personally to you, like personal to you, as opposed to things that you're doing for other people or for a project or based on a brief. Can you talk a little bit about where your head is at at this point with that? I mean, I guess I've been doing this for about 10, 11 years and um i was so i had such tunnel vision adrian like i mm. mean you know since i was 16 like i was like what can i do to be successful <laughs> and so i was always thinking a lot about like you know what do i want to sound like to get hired what do i want to what you know what i don't know i mean there was an aspect of me just being me yeah but you know at the same time i was you know i'm very much like oh i have to get I have to get jobs and I have to, you know, make myself into something that is is in demand right now. And and I right. know like that wasn't a mistake or anything, but at the same time like all of a sudden like when you start getting hired on things where you end up like pumping out that music all the time, um you start feeling a little bit like a factory. It's not music for me anymore. And so I do know that now I've come to a moment where I need to seek out a, like like projects like the announcement with Zach where where there is a lot of freedom in in what I can explore but also like I think I need to focus on and carve out some time to create my own artistic sound that's separate from what I'm doing otherwise um, do you have an idea of what that looks like like would you create a narrative for yourself to work to would it be just completely free form you're doing whatever comes to you uh is it based on something external or just whatever whim uh, happens to come your way at the time i think i have to just let it happen 
but I have to carve out the time. And I think that's one of the key, um, key things. And I have to set like a deadline for myself right, to like make, yeah. like if I'm going to make like an album or something. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, I might go back to my piano. Ah. Do you have a sense? Like, what, what do you think about the idea of voice? Like this is a, you know, people often say, well, you have to find your voice. Is your voice something that you need to find? Is it something that's always there? Is it something that's irrepressible and can get buried but never really goes away? Um, what's your what, What's your feeling on that? Uh, you have to, no matter what, still be true to yourself because it. Do, I mean, it doesn't. It's not beneficial to you to sound like all these other people, right? Mm-hmm. Like it. It doesn't make sense to be like, well, I can be a dupe for for whoever yeah um like a cheap one right like that's not really (laughs) gonna get you right as far like i don't want to be like another john williams or another han zimmer like that doesn't help me do you have a sense of what your voice is like do you feel that when you start this project whatever it ends up being that you're going to be like what do i even want to say or are you like no no i got it this is just going to come out I think I have a very specific way that I approach like harmony and melody. Like I, I'm very mm. melody heavy and I just mm-hmm. love melody so much. Mm. Like, you know, when when trends kind of go away from having having a lot of melody <laughs> in them, I'm like, no, but just pull it back a bit. Like, let's, Right. Let's, yeah. I grew up in this like sort of 90s, like Spice Girls, Backstreet Boys, like. Moulin Rouge, like mainstream stuff at, at that, okay. at that yeah. time. And like, um, of course, I have this all, all this other interest in in the classical realm as well. But like, I don't know. I don't know what would come out. Like, I, I know that it won't have words. Mm-hmm. That's all I really know so far. Hmm. <laughs> well, that's exciting territory. We're talking about personal expression, very something very unique to yourself as a human being. Something that you also think about a lot is what happens when non-human beings are making music. (laughs) (laughs) And you actually were on a podcast recently talking about this stuff. Erica, do you think the machines are coming for us? No, no, no. (laughs) I mean, I don't think we should be afraid of the computers that write music. At least, Mm -hmm. like, like, in terms of expression. Right. But... Maybe economically we should be. I don't. I don't know exactly. Why, why does this? Why does this interest you? What? What? What prompted you to sort of get into this? I don't know. I was just thinking about. I was trying to think as far into the future as I could. Essentially, okay. like, wow. and so, and I don't think a lot of people understand like where where this is going, um, mm-hmm. or they just don't. They just don't think that it's gonna really come out in the next like five to ten years, which is right. like what I really do think is things move exponentially, just like in any other department of the world where we're talking about like what it means when AI comes about. I think we do have to think about what it means when when AI is able to do all of the creative things that we as humans are mm-hmm. able to do because yeah. Very easily, you can start replacing certain aspects of a film or television show, and music is going to be one of them. Like, and I think we need to decide if that's appropriate. If if an AI writing the score um, 
does that what does that turn our society into just like if mm. an ai was gonna write the script like now you've subtracted like a human voice like a human opportunity for expression and that's that's really what our culture is is like us telling our stories and if there's less opportunities for us to tell our stories um and reflect that back towards us like what do we turn into mm-hmm. like the ai is suddenly telling us these stories that aren't they're not human stories they're a shadow of what it thinks that we are so mm-hmm. and i think that we have to just be careful because um computer programmers are preoccupied right now with trying to figure out if they can make computers write music and and they they will be able to do it like there's no question that that's on the on the happen. scale of of they they'll write uh, they'll be able to make notes put together but they'll never be able to create something that makes you feel the way a Beethoven sonata is on the other side of the scale. Where do you where do you tilt on that scale? Oh, they'll be able to do that. Like it's all it's all finding patterns. Like mm-hmm. a Beethoven sonata is is a pattern of of music. Like it's I I don't think that they're not going to be able to do it. It's it's right. but it's still it's a shadow. Like they'll be able to make what's a shadow of a Beethoven sonata. And they'll be able to make a shadow of a Bach fugue. Do you think that that's sort of what we do in a way? Because when I think about it, I mean, an extremely complex neural network is starting to resemble, in terms of its action, what a human brain does. And when you, when I mean, not talking about AI necessarily, but in terms of machine learning, you are feeding into the machine all these examples of things and saying, what is the commonality? What are the patterns? Put it together and now make something that where you synthesize something new out of all these things. And in a way, I feel like that's kind of what we're doing all the time. We're like mm-hmm. every, like you're saying, you've got the little bit of nineties, you've got the classical music, you've got all these different interests and things that make up Erica. And then every time someone asks you to make something, you're going, great, let me filter it through everything that I've got in me. And isn't machine learning kind of doing the same thing? It is. I I just, I don't know that that, that like, I don't think I'm arguing that that's not what mm-hmm. we do either. I think, I think what I'm saying is, do we want to have our stories that we have, you know, assimilated and regurgitated at all our influences? Um, I don't know. Does it make it more valid because we're humans to, mm. to say these stories? I mean, it mm-hmm. is it is what we contribute to our culture. And I think that's right. the key to everything. Okay, so <laughs> let me ask you the impossible. Make a prediction for us. What do you think the world of music looks like 20 years down the road? I mean, it depends. There's there's some key decision making, I guess, that will have to happen. Like, you know, I I think computers can already compose. Like they can put, you know, a string of notes together. They might not be perfectly, you know, uh with you know the quality that we expect yet but that mm-hmm. but it will be and then once they crack the the actual production side of this yeah. music and make it sound good um there's not really going to be any difference between a human composing something and a computer except the computer's going to be way faster let's be honest and cheaper yep and so the computer is going to be 
put inside video games and it's going to spit out, you know, you could have a different score every time you played a video game. Like that's mm. completely going to happen. Right. Um, uh, someone has to put that score into the computer game. So, you know, maybe there's a new job that exists where somebody is in charge of like programming the score generator. That could be a thing. And like, you know, putting the markers in for the beats that need to be hit. Um, stuff like that. You don't need to be as adept at composing music as as we are. Like something is going to be decided where certain jobs are still going to be composed by humans, and certain jobs are going to be composed by an AI bot that's built into a film editing program mm -hmm. that comes right. comes with the software you buy. I think that's what will happen. I, I just think that you know we have to decide as a culture like it just and not just in the music department but just in general like do we want our culture to be reflected back at us from the eyes of an ai or do right. we want it to be real people like doing this stuff it's easier to compare it to script writing mm. or like book writing or something right. Yeah. Where you would say, oh, absolutely not. I yeah. don't want my stories to be written by a computer. <laughs> but then, you know, when you start getting into pop music and like lyric writing, the lines start getting blurrier. And then when you get to score to picture, it's even blurrier too, because, right. um, you know, you're combining human work with AI work and... It's a little blurry, so I wonder. I wonder if it'll end up being something like you know what's happened with uh, certain you know right for the last ten years or so. We've seen a, a sort of renaissance of the LP um, and vinyl uh, analog of any kind has sort of become you know boutique and very sought after. And now we're even seeing you know old style cassettes coming back. I mean, these are the, the bane of my existence back in the day when you wanted to record something, you're trying to do your four track, and you're like, do I use Dolby or not? It's hissy and horrible. But then if you use a Dolby, then it just dulls the sound. You're like, just, it's so frustrating. And now people are like, yeah, I'm listening to my cassette tapes again. I'm like, yeah. what is going on? <laughs> what is going on? And I wonder, you know, if, if, what'll happen is that it'll just become this very rare artisanal kind of like sought after thing that is more, you know, it's not in everything, but when you really want to go mm -hmm. whole hog and have something unique and special, you hire a real person to make the music. That's like, wow. You know, I don't know what's going to happen. I, I think, you know, we're talking about this just like in a, in a microcosm of, yeah. of film yeah. right now, but like, you know, what's going to happen in the rest of the world? Are we all of a sudden going to get a basic income and everybody's going to be having so much more free time to like sit around and do the stuff they want? Maybe like everybody's just going to start writing all their own music all the time. Like, mm -hmm. I don't really know what's going to happen, but, but I can s see this like, you know, if you go completely positive on it, it ends up being this like lovely u utopian society where we yeah, all get right. to be <laughs> self-expressing all day, every day. And then, um, you know, the other way is that, you know, we're all, you know, shut out from doing the things we actually want to do. And, right. you know, I don't know. That's I hope really I have a job in 10 years. <laughs> don't we all don't we all but speaking of jobs what's uh what's next for you what are you what are you excited about what's coming up for you um i'm excited i'm working on on um a couple projects right now one of them i'm not allowed to talk about yet but it's exciting because it's um it's something that everybody knows and it's season <laughs> 25 
So there's your big clue. Season twenty five. Season twenty five is wow. Is, you that's know, awesome. It's quite yeah. intense that it's come that far. So is this another thing that you were aware of when you were younger, and that's kind of an exciting uh, property to be part of now? Yes, I de- I definitely watched it when I was that's younger, and I think cool. a lot of people probably yeah. watched it that's when they awesome. were younger. So that's awesome. Um, I'm doing a, a series on YouTube originals, mm-hmm. and then uh, I got a thing coming up on CBC with uh, the Nature of Things. So that that's cool too. Nice, yeah. that's great, awesome. Mm-hmm. So if people want to keep up with you and and uh, keep, you know say hello or see what's what's the latest for you, where can they find you online? Are you on socials? What's your yes. website? Um, I have a website. It's myname.com. Erica Procunier. Uh, and um, my handles for Twitter and Instagram, it's um, it's Erica underscore pro, P-R-O. I love it. Um, Erica pro. Yeah. Because that's what you are. <laughs> a total pro. <laughs> no, that's not why. It's just because my last name is hard to spell. So. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, Erica, this has been a, a real pleasure and, and lots of fun. I'm glad we solved all the problems of uh, the future of, of the oh, machines yes. taking solved over. And, them. you know, we don't need to worry about that anymore. Yeah. Um, thanks for joining me today. This is lots of fun. And I wish you all the best in your future project. Thank you for having me, Adrian. It was wonderful speaking with you. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this conversation, please consider showing your support by giving the show a five-star rating and sharing the episodes with your friends and followers. The Screen Composer Studio is produced by myself, Adrian Ellis. Graphics and post-production assistance by Nick Grimshaw. Special thanks to our managing director, Tanya Dedrick, as well as Charlie Finley, Elizabeth Hannon, and Guggen Singh for their support. For more information on the SCGC, please visit www.screencomposers.ca and follow us online at Screen Composers or reach out at tscs at screencomposers.ca.